Saram dear listeners and welcome to Trist with Divinity our series of conversations on Radio Sai with people who have been touched by the love of Bhagwan Today is October 10 2016 the ninth day of the Dasara celebrations in Prashantinilam the festival when we adore the Lord as the divine mother and I'm grateful to Bhagwan for sending to the studios today someone who has in real life lived and experienced that dictum mother is god and in turn god has blessed him with the love of a million mothers and more mr raj srivastan from the us he had his first darshan of swami as a 13 year old in abbotsbury chennai but bhagwan had visited his home to his mother's home way back in the 50s in 1951 to be precise and in fact had revealed to her to his mother about the birth of raj as well as his two siblings after that rondo with bhagwan as a teenager he saw swami once again after 20 years in 1993 and that was a life changing moment the journey of his soul after that had many moments of chills and thrills experiences that were deeply depressing and completely incapacitating to moments which were absolutely enlivening and resurrecting he saw swami again in 2005 and then in 2008 when his life was in complete disarray and everything around him only appeared dark hopelessly dismal and utterly devastating now swami went to him how did this happen and what did this do to him and how has his soul journey been since then well that is going to be what we are going to hear today so it is really going to be a very moving and enlightening conversation but before we get on to it let me take a minute to mention about his accomplishments in his professional sphere mr raj is now an experienced corporate and securities attorney with a management consulting background practicing in the us for 18 years now He's engaged in class and derivative litigation as counsel for the boards of Fortune 500 companies and engaged in defending directors and officers through the US corporate law firms. He has assisted justices and judges at the Supreme Court of Delaware and federal bankruptcy courts in public service also at the US Securities and Exchange Commission's Enforcement Division to prosecute Wall Street corporate and securities fraud. In fact, he has contributed immensely to the successes in various kinds of financial fraud prosecutions against big banks working beside the US Department of Justice and other watchdog agencies. He has used his sharp legal skills to fight against adharma, against injustice done to disabled persons, to neglected and abandoned children, to abused and battered women. He fought against the termination of parental rights, his work to protect abused prisoners, and his work for senior citizens who were victims of fraud, and so on. The list goes. In India, he practiced law for two years, and during this time, He stood against overbilling and other medical practices done by rich corporate hospitals in India. This is one of the many other things that he did in India before he moved to the US in 1999. Understandably, he has a string of impressive educational qualifications in India, UK and US educational systems with senior Cambridge schooling and degrees in physics, bachelors and masters in law, masters in business administration specializing in finance as well as masters and juris doctor degrees in law in the US 
Thanks to his extensive qualifications, he is admitted to practice law in India, in the U.S. Supreme Court, as well as in the state bars of Newark, Delaware, Washington, D.C. and U.S. federal courts. He also has a broad work experience. Before his first bar admission in 1997, he worked in sales, marketing, management and entrepreneurship involving small and multi-million dollar projects in the pharma sector, in the engineering sector, in shipping, in media and also offered management and turnaround consultancy. He even established an import-export business in London and in 1997, he worked with the top London firm Simmons advising the Bangalore city and the Karnataka state government on strategies and legal framework for implementing their $2.5 billion Bangalore Metro Rail project. The Bangalore Metro Rail project as many probably know is called Nama Metro and it is in fact India's second largest metro system in terms of both length and number of stations. Besides all these laurels in his career as a businessman, business consultant and then as a distinguished lawyer, Mr. Raj is also a martial art expert. He has in fact studied martial arts including Bruce Lee's Jeet Kondo which is a form of Chinese Kung Fu. In his college days, he was a keen cricketer too having being one of those uh, very good players who was part of this Ranji Trophy Probables from the state of Tamil Nadu. So yes, there is so much to him. But among all these achievements and distinctions spanning over five decades, for Mr. Raj, what is most cherishable is the chance that he received in 2015 to teach the students of Bhagwan in all the campuses. He has now visited and taken classes in corporate governance and financial management in Puttaparthi, that is the Prashantinam campus, in Bundavan campus, in Mudinali campus and Anandpur campus of Sri Satisai Institute of Higher Learning. Even though he is a guest faculty in India's premier institutes like Indian Institute of Management in Bangalore and National Institute of Fashion Technology, for him to be serving Bhagwan's educational mission directly is in fact a very precious gift and blessing from the Lord. In fact, he is here now in India doing this duty. Very happily, he has spent time in August 2016 teaching in the classes to the girl student of Anandpur campus and after that he stayed on in India to visit some of India's ancient glory and heritage and now he is back in Prashantalim to soak himself in the light and delight of Dasara. And really, he is in bliss just connecting with his inner sigh in the peace of Prashanti. And his journey to Sai with Sai has deep and meaningful lessons that all of us can benefit from. And that is how and probably that is why Bhagwan has sent him to the studios on this beautiful day when we are about to celebrate the Purnahuti of the Veda Purusha Saptaha Jnana Yajna that's been going on in Prashantalayam for the last one week. So welcome Mr. Raj Shivasan to Trist with Divinity on Radio Sai. Sai Raman, thank you very much for this opportunity. My prayers at the lotus feet for this opportunity. So Bhagavan declared his avatarhood when he was 14 years old and when you were 13, 14, he declared himself to you. <laughs> Isn't that quite a coincidence? <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting. So tell us the story of uh, how as a teenager, when you saw Bhagwan, what impact it had on you and how did that happen? Sure. Perhaps I should just rewind it a little bit uh, in terms of time. Um, from the age of 11, 
I think, um, if I'm right. Uh, I was always curious about life, what life meant, mm-hmm. what was life about. Age of 11? Yes. So I picked up books about Ramana Maharishi mm-hmm. and I went through those. And of course, as you can understand now and appreciate, Vedanta was pretty heavy for 11-year-old. I know. To understand that. <laughs> no, was, it, uh, was it because you had a religious background? Or? No, it was just something innate within me. Okay. I had that curiosity. Mm-hmm. and uh, i could not specifically put my finger on what it was all about but mm-hmm. i had this curiosity and i would go to bookstores and i would peruse the spiritual section mm-hmm. and uh, those days on mount road in chennai they would have these old books sold on the platform mm-hmm. in front of lic building mm-hmm. and i would stop by and i would look at ramana's books and i would pick them up <laughs> and as a 11 year old i remember i even picked a book on the upanishads but of course all those went above my head but the the reason i'm bringing that up is because swami of course knew that uh, him being omniscient and as i know and as a number of experiences in the past which i can discuss about as we go through these interviews um so i guess swami really knew what was in my heart and he perhaps knows about me as he knows past present future hmm. so nothing in this uh, physical uh, life in this birth <laughs> i mean really um prepared you or molded you towards that direction when you were just 10 11 years old so it is something that perhaps you were born with it appears so mm-hmm. because you you wouldn't find very many 11 years old uh, looking for spiritual books and even possessing for spiritual, spiritual books because i do remember some of the first books i possessed were spiritual books ramanam uh, books and one day my friend i won't mention the year but it was quite a while ago mm a uh, friend of mine who used to play cricket with me in mm. school uh, he was about 7 8 years older to me he told me let's go because god is coming to town mm-hmm. this was in chennai <laughs> <laughs> for a 13 year old at that mm. time mm. you know hearing the word god uh, mm. coming to town it's almost like the embodiment of a physical body coming to town and i was a, i was kind of stupefied i said what mm. did you say god and he said yes and i said are you crazy how can god come to town he said look why don't you just come with me and let's go across so we went to abbotsbury we were cycling buddies so we cycled to abbotsbury okay. about 3 4 miles away and swami came to me physically mm-hmm. within handshaking distance mm-hmm. he stopped in front of me mm-hmm. he looked knowingly into my eyes mm-hmm. and he smiled and he raised both his hands and he gave me a bhayas the blessing oh and then he looked at me with a wicked smile which i know now what it meant because as the years unfolded a lot of events happened and mm. uh, he then walked away mm. that was my first encounter with divinity but did it um, make any impression on you because you were someone as you mentioned two years prior to that you were already reading a lot of spiritual books and you were trying to find answers for various questions meaning of life and so on so did that encounter with bhagwan help in this process in any way um again i need to build a little context into this um it did but in a different way i was very skeptical and i i'm always a skeptical person and i guess that's the reason i became a lawyer uh, <laughs> um i don't i don't believe things easily i believe people easily but i don't believe statements or such positions easily um let me build a, put a little flesh to that skeleton um my family believed in all kinds of ochre robed sages and saints and for me 
it was something that I did not really take to because India is full of okra-robed rogues. And I was a little cautious that uh, Bhagwan was also a rogue. And it was a wrong impression, but Swami himself has said that you should come, you should experience, and then you should make up your mind. You should never believe anything blindly. And I guess I was following that dictum unconsciously within myself. So when he first came to me, it didn't have a positive effect at all. In fact, on the other hand, it created, it stirred in me a little opposition to him. Mm -hmm. And that opposition, as it turns out, was really a healthy opposition because it made me think more about what this was all about. And Mm -hmm. over the years, that curiosity has fueled my search for meaning. Mm -hmm. And then the experiences of Swami, which he gave me, brought everything home. So it was a mixed sort of experience. Very much so. So on one hand, I think there was something about Swami which uh, you uh, were stunned or sort of you were mesmerized or you were perhaps uh, fascinated to some extent. He intrigued me. Yeah. Uh, That's as best as I can put it for Mm. a 13-year-old. He intrigued Mm. me. Mm. He looked charming. Mm. He had a very um, beautiful face, smooth, Mm. wonderful black hair. Swami was around 45 or so around Mm. that time, as you know, Mm. 48, probably 50, close to 50. Mm -hmm. And he was only five foot three with his hair. So it made a huge impression like Mm. this tiny little form. Mm. And there are thousands of people out here, maybe 15,000 people out there. So he said, he's got to have something about him, Mm. which draws people. Mm. But I failed to feel that at that time. Uh So it took me a long while to actually feel that. Hmm. It's not an instantaneous hmm. uh, recognition of divinity at all. Yeah. It took a while. You just knew that he's something else. He's something special. Then. Yes. Something special. Hmm. But, it, but he bears investigation by me. Hmm. As a 13-year-old, that might sound a little arrogant. Hmm. But I guess I was a little precocious in hmm. uh, suspecting these things then. Hmm. Not just accepting things blindly. But one of the most intriguing factors here was I didn't go with my parents I went mm-hmm. by myself with a friend. Mm-hmm. And 30, for a 13-year-old, that's a little mm-hmm. odd. <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess when it's your time, you go. Yeah, absolutely. So, as the life progressed, were you uh, constantly uh, thinking about what happened in that year? Or, or that was one of those events that happened and you after that life was as usual? A very interesting thing happened before this event. There was a palmist who visited my grandfather's home in Gandhinagar. And he was reading everybody's palm. He was an IIT graduate. Mm-hmm. And he read my palm and he said, whether or not anybody else sees God, this boy is going to see God. <laughs> and when God did is, this happen? This happened at, just around that time. Oh, okay. This wow. is before, this preceded Swami's mm-hmm. visit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, there is also the episode of Swami coming to your mother's home. I didn't know about that then. Oh, because okay. it was not significant. This we came to know a little later. Mm-hmm. because nobody really took interest in Swami. I didn't take interest in Swami. And my mother didn't think that it was necessary to mention that to me because there was no significance and mm-hmm. no context mm-hmm. because I rejected ochre robed rogues. As so, I said. so until that moment, mother also had never mentioned about this. No, she did not mention it to me <laughs> because it had no significance. Mm-hmm. I, I would not be interested because I was against saints. Mm-hmm. I was against these uh, ochre robed mm-hmm. uh, persona mm-hmm. in uh, India. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Your parents were devoted? Your my mother was. My hmm. father has had uh, several darshans. Hmm. Um, nothing that we really discussed about in cozy terms. Hmm. Uh, all this came about much later, 20 years later, when I 
mm. when Swami came. Mm. So after that, life was as usual. You went ahead doing your education and stuff. I was in school, and my life was not usual. It actually regressed in lots of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the the difficulty the difficulty is my life was strewn with obstacles, with 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 hurdles, and mm. I had to work very very hard. Uh, even in school, even in college, uh, subsequent to that as well, nothing was easy for me. Nothing came easy in my life except mm. my sports. My mm. sports came easy, studies mm. came easy, mm. but nothing else came easy. Mm. So we next saw Swami only after twenty years. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that was a very different experience than what it was when you were a thirteen-year-old. Yes, it was an extraordinary experience, um, really extraordinary. Uh, nevertheless. I was still sitting on the fence, but it was an extraordinary experience. Looking back now, I, I can scarcely believe that I experienced that. Twenty years later, my mother was paralyzed, and she was paralyzed for over six years. Around the same time, my father was ill as well for a year, year and a half, and I was taking care of them alone in Chennai, in the third floor apartment without an elevator. I had no siblings with me to assist, no relatives, and not even house help. So I was doing everything myself. I know it's one of those strange situations that life throws you in. To top that also, I was doing my MBA at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I completed my MBA right on top of the class, the top three ranks at the same time. And I'd also begun my law at the same time. How I was able to jostle all of these things at the same time was in really incredible. And that is the power of the divine on how he gives you a problem. He gives you the strength to handle it as well. In 1993... My father came to know that Swami was coming down to Chennai. At those days, I did not know or call him by the word Swami. That came much later when Swami prompted me to call him by that epithet. So we had to take my mom. My mom being devoted to him and my father also having a lot of faith in Swami, wanted to go to Abbotsbury, the very same venue where Swami had first seen me and blessed me. So I had to prepare my mother being bedridden. I had to do everything, the rituals for her and then take her in a car to visit. And Mount Road, the road which leads to Abbotsbury was closed and ours was the only vehicle. And we were not allowed in because it was around close to nine o'clock and Swami would come in for darshan at that time in his red BMW car that he had then. One thing led to another thing and we were wondering what to do and the police wanted to shoo us away from there and all of a sudden this gentleman in crisp white clothing with a clipped accent perfect English very smart looks comes out of the ladies section now that was a red flag because as you know Swami does not countenance men coming on the ladies side or ladies coming on the men's side there's a clear segregation of the two and this gentleman just popped out of thousands of women and came right up to the car there was no fence dividing Abbotsbury from the main road So he came up and he asked me in a clipped accent, he said, what seems to be the problem? You can't park your car here. You'd have to move your car because Swami's car will be coming anytime. He said, Baba's car will be coming anytime. And I said, look, we are here because the, my mother would like to get Swami's darshan and I can't move the car. He said, you would have to. I said, all right, ask the lady. And if she's willing to move the car, we'll move the car. And he asked the lady and she said, I want to see Baba. So he said, even if you want to see Baba, the gate is closed. You can't drive in because there is no access and we also don't have a wheelchair. So there's no way you can get in over there to the disabled person section. 
So he said, um, you'd have to move. And I said, all right, I can move her if you would like me to move her. I can do that. He said, we don't have a wheelchair. And I said, I am a wheelchair. I'll carry her. You've got to mentally understand the scheme of Abbotsbury. We are on Mount Road. Imagine a rectangle adjacent to that. And about 100 yards distance from there to the... Uh, uh, the enclosure where he eventually wanted to take us. And then there's this sea of women sitting between the road and the enclosure. And we had to walk. The only access was walking through the women. Mm. And you know, as I just mentioned, <laughs> Swami does not countenance that. But then again, you know, these rules, Swami bends them in appropriate circumstances as I came to know that day. So he said, pick up your mother. And I picked up my mother in my arms. She weighed about 150 pounds, 155 pounds then. Just lifted her up in my arms and walk through those women. And this seems like Moses parting the ocean, you know, the Red Sea. <laughs> I was walking up there with my mom in my hands. My dad was walking behind me with the, uh, with the uh, uh, bags, uh, you know, food for her, water, and towels and so on and so mm. forth. And this gentleman was leading us right in front. And it was like the ocean of women were parting and the three of us were walking across. <laughs> and we went into that enclosure, which was nothing but a back, it's kind of like a backyard, mm-hmm. but with walls about five feet in height. And there was an access from the back, which we went through. And there's an access from the front, which Swami came in later, as I will talk about. It was about approximately 150 feet, probably the length of that uh, enclosure and about 70 feet in mm-hmm. width. And there was nothing in it except... Uh, um, some discarded furniture and so on and so forth, you know, which was discarded mm-hmm. from the main budget hall and mm-hmm. convention center. And that is connected to the budget convention center hall. And we walked in there and he said, put your mother on the ground. And the ground was concrete and I could mm-hmm. not do so because mm-hmm. she's paralyzed. I can mm-hmm. put her on the ground, she hit her head. So I said, I can't do that. He said, what do you need? <laughs> he said, I need a chair. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, a chair just comes out from nowhere, mm-hmm. folding chair. And then he puts a folding chair in a particular spot, which at that moment did not strike me as significant, but later on it proved to be extremely significant, as I'll mention. So I put my mother on the chair and it didn't have arms. Now she's paralyzed, so she could fall. And so I'm fixing my eyes on her and I can move from her side because I'm, I'm conscious of the fact mm. if she rolls and hits the concrete with her skull, mm. she's going to have a fractured skull. Mm. So I was standing by her side and the gentleman asked me, he said, anything else? And I said, no. And he says, all right, uh, Baba's car should be coming anytime. And he's rolling in, I'm going. And he walked out and he disappeared. Mm-hmm. And for me, what do I think? Where did he go? Who is this gentleman? I have never come across such a gentleman ever on that day again forever after that but he disappeared and exactly at that time Swami's car approached parked in the portico and then the function proceeded wow <laughs> well a lot of things happened after that hmm. would you like me to yeah, of that? course a lot of things happened after that uh, Swami went into the foreground and there were children putting on a cultural festival for him this was January early January 1920th around that time of uh, uh, 1993 and my father was with us and I told my father when there's a history here sometimes you know parents father doesn't get along with son this was a case my father was an army colonel mm. he had his way of doing things and he didn't like me approve of me mm. for lots of reasons and his reasons and uh, I said look dad we don't get along but stay with me because if you believe he's divinity it's important we get his blessings as a family mm. not individually because it shouldn't be that way because we are one unit Mm. 
He said, no, I'll get a better look from across. So he went out. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why I say this, because he turned around Swami after the program about 25 minutes, 30 minutes, and then he walked back and I could see his head bobbing about the five foot wall. My mother was sitting on the chair and my dad was out now. He was in Swami's entourage. I don't know how he got there, but he got there. And you know how it is. You can't really get in there close. But because we were in this unique spot, he was able to join that entourage. And my mother was asking me, I said, where is he? Has he gone? And I was telling her, giving her a running commentary. He's approaching, he's moving this way, so on. I was standing, she was sitting to my left, and I'm facing that enclosure. The enclosure is just shoulder width, a little more than my shoulders, probably about three feet in, in width, enough for an individual to walk through. And I was feeling really bad for her because I don't know how long she lived uh, in her condition. And a prayer went out for my heart. Swami answers prayers which are genuine and unselfish. And my prayer was, was for her. I said, this lady loves you a lot. And she wants to see you. I don't know how long she's going to live. Could you please answer her prayer? And at that exact moment, I got a shock. Because just as that prayer left, he crossed that opening. I could see him now. He wasn't looking towards me. He was looking straight ahead. He turned around so quickly, swiveled on his foot. He swiveled. And it was a funny sight because I'm trying to express what I saw. I paint the picture for you. Everybody else was caught on the foot, with the foot in the air. So they're committed to their step and they could not stop. But he had already swiveled and he had run through that opening towards us. And all of them were committed. And it was like a frozen shot. You can see everybody in midair. Mm. They, they were committed. They couldn't come. And as soon as Swami ran, the Sevadal blocked the access. So my father got trapped outside. He couldn't come back inside. And Swami ran close to about 40 feet from that opening to us. Wow. He lifted his robe with his left hand and he ran, verbalizing what happened, what happened, what happened, you know. Amazing. And that was an amazing sight for me, looking at this bounding orange ochre robed mm. Now, as I say, wonderful divine being running towards us. That stopped my heart. A few minutes before, you were only able to see his hair and now he's running towards you. Running. Have you ever seen Swami run to anybody? Mm. He was running to us. Mm. And that was extraordinary. He ran and he came up to me and he asked me, he said, what happened? And I was still not conscious of the fact that this is a divine being. I was still sitting on the fence. But this shocked me. And, but then I thought in my mind as an analytical person, perhaps it was a coincidence because at that exact moment when I uh, prayed, maybe it was just a coincidence that mm. he came running. Perhaps yeah. he was curious when he saw mm. two people standing there. That's what I thought. But then the whole set of events simply militated against that kind of intellectual cleverness as mm. Swami calls it. Mm. He ran, he asked me, he said, what happened? I gave him a string. I said, she's got high blood pressure. My blood, mother's blood pressure was 270 by 210. Oh. which was extraordinarily high. And she had a stroke when it was around 280. And it fluctuated up and down. She was a COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease patient. She, her lungs had packed up. She had kidney problems. She had eyesight problem, peripheral sight. She had complete left side was paralyzed. So she had to be, be tutored to sit. A lot of issues, everyday physiotherapy, bedpan, everything was on the bed. 
And for her to be sitting on that without armrest, like the chair I'm sitting on right now, was extraordinary. And she didn't lose her balance at all. And I was keeping my eyes fixed on her, but at the same time trying to look at Swami and catch glimpses of him. And he came and stood right up there and then he asked my mother, he said, how are you in vernacular in Tamil? And uh, my mother just couldn't uh, grasp. She was crying. Tears were streaming down because she could feel the bhakti. I could not, but she could. And um, then he started materializing something with his hand. That is the first time I actually saw him materialize something. The moment I saw his hand go that way, I started thinking, here comes a magic trick. And he stopped. And he looked at me. And he looked at me sarcastically, meeting my eyes, and my hand, my eyes were on his hand. And then he did something extraordinary. He read my mind. So he took his sleeve, right sleeve, and pulled it all the way up to his elbow. And then very mischievously looking at me, he continued with his walls on the right hand and materialized Viputi. A beautiful white powder came out of nothing. And I was stupefied when I saw that. There's no question that he could have hidden it anywhere. No question it popped down a pill like people, you know, make up all these stories. Um, I, I wonder what they would say if they saw him churning in the pot during <laughs> Shivratri, you know. Uh, a never-ending supply of yes. Vibhuti falling. Dasara. And, yeah, mm-hmm. Dasara. And it stopped when yes. Swami pulled his hand out, it yes. stopped. And then again, he put his hand yes. in and twirled it to start again. Mm-hmm. And limitless supply of Vibhuti. Yes. But here it was a beautiful white, beautiful powder. White. I've never seen anything like that. Pure white. Like mm-hmm. talcum white. Mm-hmm. And smells beautiful. And he he opened my mother's palm, put it on it. Then he put his three fingers and put this namam on her forehead, mm-hmm. you know, Vishnu Mark. Mm-hmm. And then he put tipped the palm to her mouth, asked her to swallow it. And then he turned to me with so much of love. Mm. He turned and he caught my hands, my arms. He caught my shoulder first. Mm. And then he caught my arms, forearms. Mm. And he held it, almost like giving me that strength, Mm. that courage. And I was thinking in my mind, am I going to see a miracle like Jesus performed, making people walk? (laughs) And that was the exact thought in my mind. And immediately the message flashes back to me, Mm. that's not the right thing to ask. Mm. And that was my lesson. You do not ask for things like that because there is a karmic process for each individual. They have to go through something. The better prayer is, in accordance with your knowledge of their needs, you please bless them. That's the perfect prayer for an individual. Not to save their life, not to cure them, Nothing like that. Because he has better plans. Yes. Uh, these reflections came later, you know, the meaning to all of this. And, and he just leaned forward and kept holding my hand and pressing my hand every time I had a thought. And that was beautiful. Having the Lord touch your hand is extraordinary. And then he withdrew his hand. And then he turned and he walked away. And when he walked away, when I looked to the right, that was when it hit me where the chair was placed. The chair was placed exactly opposite the doors which led directly to Swami's throne. Mm-hmm. And there was a red carpet from my mother's chair all the way to Swami's throne. That was a distance of about 70, 80 feet, 90 feet. And we got a ringside view. Where Swami's carpet ended, he sat and we were at the other end. Wow. And then the bliss tears started. And here's a black belt a guy who's fought in the nationals, <laughs> he's fought commandos and whatnot, and he was crying in public in front of women. There were thousands of women, there were policemen standing, and I was crying, and I couldn't stop my tears. And I just looked at myself, you know, 
in the third person and I was wondering, what am I doing? I'm crying, but I can't stop my tears. It just went on and on. It came in as paroxysms, which I later learned. Swami causes that with his aura. Amazing. Hmm. So, so, so a lot of cobwebs of the mind were cleared. Mm-hmm. A lot of love was experienced that I had never experienced before. I would imagine so. And I think it's very significant also that Swami held your arms. Yes. Because you were someone, as you mentioned, you were spending all your time looking after your parents, looking especially your mother who was not keeping well. And you had to do it all alone. Mm-hmm. And Swami is someone who always emphasized that one should always look after their parents, you know. Once, uh, as Bhagwan in Telugu says, food do, 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 blood do, you know, your, your, your blood, your food, your money, your energy, your very being, everything comes from your parents. And Swami always, I, I don't think there is ever any discourse that he gave to the students and he did not emphasize this aspect of serving your parents. And you were doing that uh, at that point in time. Uh, with everything that uh, you could muster physically and emotionally and to me it seems like it was a it was a reward it was a gift it was acknowledgement of that service that we are doing to your mother i should say i was the beneficiary i'm very fortunate when i look back now taking care of my parents even though my father was very obtrusive i took care of him as well um there was were challenging days very very challenging but it was a huge reward for me to be there and take care of both my parents at a time when they needed me and needed help. And I think I'm very fortunate to have had that opportunity when I was young, when I had the physical strength, uh, because I didn't need to carry my mother down three flights of stairs and put her in a car in my vehicle that is a Maruti van and rush her to the hospital numerous times in the dead of night, not knowing where I would need to put my foot I couldn't mm. see the steps in front of me. Mm. It was purely his guidance where my feet landed one after the other. One slip and both my mother and I would have gone over the parapet mm. and fallen about 40 feet and died. And this happened for years. And this happened more than 200 occasions climbing oh up God. and down. And uh, that's the kind of duty and service that he enabled me to discharge to my parents, carrying both my mother and father. For years, for years, for six years. So for six years. Yeah, my mom and my dad for about a year. So that was uh, his blessing. And now when I look back, um, it's a very important duty that everybody should perform if they have the opportunity and the grace and the, and the good fortune to do. And uh, like he says, if you can't serve your parents, you really can't serve the world. It doesn't matter what you do for the world if you can't do it for your parents. I'm fortunate that way. Amazing. And I think that uh, encounter with Bhagwan uh, in 1993, that way was significant in so many ways. Yes. Isn't it? At least one thing is now you are more emboldened than before to serve your parents yeah. uh, in spite of whatever challenges yes. uh, at home and elsewhere. And also now you had this source of energy and strength to bank on which is Bhagwan, which you connected now, isn't it? It's a really good point that you bring up about the source of strength because in, in retrospect, I realized why he held my hands. 
Swami was actually giving me energy to handle what was going to come. Mm-hmm. And if I thought that he was rewarding me for what I did, I was wrong because this was not a reward for what I did. This was giving strength for what was going to come. Mm-hmm. And what came next year was extraordinarily stupefying. Mm-hmm. All of 94, my mother was in intensive care on life support. And she went to hospital about five different times, mm-hmm. each time on the ventilator for two, two and a half months in two different hospitals in Chennai. And that was an extremely difficult time in terms of physical, emotional, financial. It was a drain. My brother has been a huge support in this, my younger brother. Huge support. And I'm really kudos to him because he bore his end financially. And I bore this end financially as well as in terms of taking serving my parents. But what's, what was the significance of that whole thing is it, it confused me about the, my conclusions about ochre-robed saints. And for me at that time, I neither understood whether Swami was a saint, divine or what, because I was still fighting with my intellectualism, you know. Uh, I'd still not allowed my heart to accept the divinity which was flowing. Although there were snatches of moments when I would wonder, this is divinity. And because of what I saw and what I experienced firsthand. Um, but what he was really trying to do was bracing me for what was going to come. And that happened a year later, from January of 1994. Mm-hmm. So what really um, happened that sort of was a life-changing moment for you? It was, uh, I, would, I would not wish this on anybody, but it was one, it was a 15, 17 months of, of incredible stress, 17 months. It was stress for my mother because she was on the surgical end of uh, all these matters at uh, this time. Um, surgically intervened about half a dozen times. Um, she was uh, on tracheotomy. You know what is tracheotomy? Putting on life support, you know, yes. a nasopharyngeal tube connected to a ventilator and then they do an operation on the neck on the windpipe and then put in a trachea and into your trachea and then you are on a ventilator for two, two and a half, three months. Some people come out of it, some people don't. Um, my mother came out of it five times. And she out of the ventilator? Out of the ventilator and she made medical history. She had already come out of the ventilator in May of 1992. And in 94, she came out of it three times. And in 95, she came out of it once. And then on the second time in 1995, she died. Oh. A physical death. So those were very difficult times. And I, I was in the hospital 24-7, 365. I ran my management consultancy from the intensive care. The um, doctors, nurses, everybody understood that. They rallied behind me. They supported me. But I was, I, I, my residence was on the couch in the hospital in the intensive care. And I completed my MBA while in the hospital. And I began my law studies while in the hospital. Wow. So when your mother uh, finally passed on, what went through your mind? There was one incident which happened which my then wife related to me. Uh, My mother passed on May 11th of 1995. But at the moment when she passed, my wife was then in Bombay when Sunil Gavaskar, former captain of the cricket team for India, was arranging an event in Dharmakshetra on 11th May 1995. And Swami gave a discourse on the duty of a son to parents and uh, he was talking about Lord Rama. Mm -hmm. And my wife was present because Dr. Fani Bandha, as you know, a very close devotee of Swami, um, a Zoroastrian gentleman and a dentist, well-known dentist yes. in Bombay. 
he and I met in Bombay and he invited my wife uh, to attend this uh, program. It was for a limited number of people. And uh, the chief minister of Maharashtra was there and a number of other dignitaries and Sunil Gavaskar, of course. And my wife was present at around 8.15, 8.30 in the morning. And it was at that time my mother passed. Uh, Here's the shocking thing. She comes back at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and keep in mind, there were no cell phones at that time. She comes back home knowing that I had called a couple of times asking me what happened and then before I could say anything that mother had passed on that morning they were good friends my mother and my wife she told me you won't believe what I have to say and I said look I've got something really important to say and she said no I got to say it first and then she told me what it was she said look I strange strangest thing happened I saw mom standing there next to Swami wearing a blue sari and looking great and having these uh, jasmine flowers in her hair I've never seen her stand, but I saw her stand today. Is everything okay? And plus another thing, the letter that you gave me, and Swami accepts letters as prayers, as you know, and as most devotees know. And he accepted the letter that I had given and had scribbled something in it, but he returned it to her after he gave her blessings, Pada Namaskar. And she was confused, wondering why did he return the letter? She asked me, First, he returned the letter. Second, I saw your mother stand. Is everything okay? And I said, no, everything is okay now because she passed on at 8.15 in the morning. And she was shocked. So she physically passed on in Chennai, but she was seen next to Swami in Bombay, a distance over a thousand kilometers away at exactly the same time. And it, it was a clear vision to Clear her. vision of her standing, not an imagination for over 40 minutes as she re- related to me. And I had no reason to suspect her because she is the one who described it and she didn't know my mother had passed and nobody knew my mother had passed. Only I knew my father knew. That's all. Nobody else knew. And there were no cell phones. Those days, no internet. So there's no question of her ever having known. So this was Swami's way of letting her know divinity and letting me know that he knows when my mother passed. So... For me, I am a great believer in near-death experiences, if you know that area. I've read a lot. As I mentioned, from the age of 12, 13, I used to pick up books by Dr. Raymond Moody, Mm -hmm. A Life After Life. And I would read those books about people who passed out of their body and came back into their body. And that kind of piqued my curiosity about death. And I was a student of death. I understood, I was trying to understand what happens after that. Is this the end? I didn't believe it was the end. That was why I picked up Ramana's book, looking for an answer. And then, of course, now Swami has given all the answers. Uh, um, and uh, being a student of near-death experiences and of life and the process of death, um, I had no doubt in my mind at all that my mother had lived a life to the maximum. And she had gone at the right time when it was divinely appointed for her to leave her body at that time. So I was not in any way disillusioned. I was in fact happy for her because that broken body, the suffering was over and my mother had gone on to greener pastures. Amazing. It's quite, um, it's such a significant moment uh, when you think about, actually you feel so gratified, isn't it? All the time you served your mother and finally she's there uh, with the one uh, with whom she will always be happy. Precisely what Swami's message was at that time. And this is another thing that I would like to share with your listeners and you as well. That morning that she passed at about 8 o'clock, we had a discussion about death at 2 o'clock in the morning. 
mm-hmm. and it was strange but at 2 in the morning in the intensive care with my mother's pulse dropping heart rate dropping all the way down to 17 she was on a nasopharyngeal tube they had still not intubated her this was the sixth occasion if she had been intubated and uh, um, we we were conversing if she had been intubated we couldn't have spoken because the tube would have prohibited that prevented that so here we had a long conversation and perhaps that was his plan as well and i asked her i said did you ever feel pain in all these occasions and she said no nature has a way of blocking that pain then i asked her i said are you are you are you going to pass and she said yes i am going to pass i know i am going to pass oh. and i said i said asked her are you afraid she said what have i got to be afraid of i've lived a clean life i love god i know he will be there I have nothing to worry about. I will always be with you and I will bless you and I will take care of you. There will be nothing to fear. I have seen your younger brother. He was in Dubai at that time and I was shocked. I've seen your elder sister. She is in New Delhi. And she said, "Dad, I've seen him as well." She used to call him Mapale, my father. Mm-hmm. And I was you know, it hits you when she says you've seen when you hear somebody who's on the deathbed saying, "I've seen them all." It makes you wonder. she had this absolutely serene look about her absolutely serene she told me to cover her she told me to prop her up in the hospital bed which i did in the intensive care and she died in exactly the same position without moving a millimeter and i went into the deepest slumber which i had never done in the hospitals and at 8:15 8 o'clock around that time the bells went off and it was you know code blue and the doctors ran in the nurses ran in everybody tried to revive her use the defibrillator try to shock her but her eyes were open and she was gone in exactly the same position and i knew that she knew and that conversation was very real so i was not at all disappointed i was happy for her i knew she had gone on to something better wow i think uh, people uh, who have uh, lived very fulfilling lives you know very uh, spiritually enriching lives know the moment before it really comes and for your mom to to tell you that yeah she is moving on and she's happy about it and going away in that uh, very serene way while being in the hospital even though there are all those equipments and all that is happening around uh, in terms of machines and everything but she was actually not so connected with that not they were just happening as, as a matter of course and you were doing your duty as a matter of course but but she was in a different plane and 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 uh, all this became very clear once you saw her with swami you know i would like to share one example of how what kind of torture she went through just in february of that year 1995 the doctors cried because they tried to find a vein to put the intravenous feeds in and they couldn't find a vein they poked her close to 200 times and oh. they could not find a vein eventually they put an arterial line and arterial lines generally are not used for feeding because it's positive pressure and um it's the reverse flow and you know but that was that her body had become so dry so brittle and she whimpered through but she told the doctors do your job and that was her spirit her metal her strength of mind of character and the doctors were crying while they were trying to poke her with these because her veins had dried up that was the kind of torture she went through and yet she had this unshakable belief in god in swami she had absolutely unshakable belief and she said everything will be fine this is only a body this is not the real me 
and she was very pure. You know, Swami says, fear sin, love God, and don't be afraid of death. And she epitomized all of that. Amazing. And Bhagavan always says, you know about the person more, about the nature of the person's death. Because that perhaps is a very good indicator of the kind of life the person has lived. And I think that way, uh, every mother in this world is blessed. And you had the opportunity to actually see that, experience that and, and had the chance to actually serve and then receive also this blessing from Bhagwan, mm-hmm. uh, where he showed you that mm-hmm. she's happy. Yes. With him. That she had reached him. She has reached him. Yes. Fantastic. And I think Bhagwan, that's why in every discourse, you know, whenever he talked about uh, worshipping God, whenever he talked about um, worshipping Devi, especially during the Sara, he came back finally to worshipping Mother Nature, worshipping, you know, the five Matas, Deha Mata, Go Mata, Bhu Mata. So, Bhagwan came to worshipping cows and worshipping the nature, worshipping Mother Earth, worshipping your physical mother and in the end only comes uh, the divine, you know, Mm -hmm. in this series of uh, personalities and beings, entities to which uh, we have to offer our worship and offer our reverence. So, it's really uh, fantastic and I'm elaborating on this only because this is something that Bhagwan stressed so much. Very much a- so. And, and your life has been a, a real life experience of this dictum of Bhagwan. I've been blessed with that opportunity. So, nothing else really matters. You know, my career didn't matter. Nothing mattered. Money didn't matter. Uh, there was always the odd concern. But really, there was no... There was a line, uh, Thomas Gray's poem, which prepared me for all of this when I was in school, when I was in my eighth grade, around the same time when I... Maybe a couple of years before I got Swami's Darshan first time. Thomas Gray's, you know, the paths of glory lead but to the grave. And that line epitomized for me that it would be futile to just seek fame and fortune and money and that there are more weighty matters that one has to focus on. And that connects with my spiritual quest from a young age. So I was always cautious about searching for glory uh, and uh, uh, seeking the path which would lead to glory. I was always conscious about uh, being conscientious in life. But um, how, how did this connect happen that the path to glory is the path of serving parents? No. Um, let me rephrase that or re-explain. There's the line in his where he says uh, the heraldry of your, you know, your family, your background, um, pomp and power and all of this is going to lead to the grave, which means whether or not you become rich and you aspire for all of these pomp, power, um, of family, bloodline and uh, uh, fame and fortune and money and riches, you're going to die. So you may as well die in a noble way than seek this path, which is materialistic. So that stuck in my mind mm-hmm. from a young age. And for me, I thought the path of glory is more, um, it's, 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 let's say it's more legitimate when you find something more weighty like this, mm-hmm. like caring for people, being compassionate, mm-hmm. serving your parents, uh, being fr- truthful to people around you, mm-hmm. uh, doing the best you can for society, being compassionate to people. That is the path of glory that I sought. So, from. So, so these learnings had come from your readings? From school, 
from a very young one, from a very young age. And so it all fell into place when I read uh, Ramana's uh, books and when I read uh, Swami's uh, discourses. So at that point in time, it was no, it had nothing to do with Swami. Nothing at all. But it stuck in my mind. Yes. You see, poems can make a huge impact on children. Yes. And that line stuck in my head, the paths of glory lead but to the grave. That means don't seek those things which are wrong. And Swami has said that, right? Yes. You turn the key left, it goes worldwide yes. to the world side. Yes. You turn the key right and it goes towards divinity. Yes. And that uh, in, another wo- in another way of saying that is your hands in society head in forest. Another way of saying like Jesus said, another way of saying it is, you know, the paths of glory lead to the grave. So be very careful about what kind of glory you're aiming for mm. or seeking. And for me, the glory path was serving. Amazing. It's, it's really significant that even though um, physically um, Bhagwan had not directed uh, your understanding uh, in terms of serving the parents is the highest thing but invisibly he was directing your life invisibly he had led, on, led you on to that path so that you had that blessing and with time you then discovered him more and then realized that how you are actually walking on the path that he always wanted you to walk on. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So, after this, when did that realization come that, you know, uh, thanks to him that he's actually uh, guided my life invisibly all this while? That consciousness struck me only in 2008, 2009 more so in 2009 and a lot of events happened prior to that so we are talking about a gap now of 15 years between 2000 1993 and 2009 so 16 years 15 16 years a lot of events happened like i said when swami touched me and when he himself ran to me it was because of the urgency of the nature he knew what was coming so the significant thing about him lifting his robe and running was like a mother a mother runs to a child who she sees is going to be in danger he saw that i was in danger he saw my mother was in danger what was coming in f- air of us all that hospitalization everything and then he knew what was going to come ahead of me my life the difficulties the divorce the problems the isolation the segregation being in a country all alone by yourself drained of money lost your job being no income less and all the struggles perhaps karmically i had to go through all those experiences and i'm glad for that you know why because it made me seek divinity and all of these problems university of hard knocks were necessary for me to seek that path of glory and understanding on who he was and where he was so you're familiar with jim sinclair yes the great jim sinclair very close to swami um he says it in his interview he says that he knew that god existed but he didn't know where god existed and he didn't know where he was because he prayed to jesus and 30 years later swami appeared in his house in connecticut yes. right and in the flesh he appeared in his house and jim sinclair is on video and jim sinclair is a billion gold billion trader in the yes. united states and i have a great deal of respect for him because of his accomplishments and he's a billionaire and we shared the same field he's in the securities field and i was in the securities field as well practicing for a while with the securities exchange commission and the enforcement division so it connected with me and his experience he's gone on video and talked about it so this was like swami appearing to me in delaware when he started coming in a series of visions and dreams after my life took another turn for the worse so it seems but it was really for the better because consciousness was seeping into me 
that was the time when the economy crashed in 2008 uh, the world went crazy yes. you, you know the the uh, cdo the mortgage scam and i lost my job i was fired on april 1st the same day that the divorce occurred so i had a double whammy i was divorced and i lost my job and then six months later all hell broke loose and the world was in a mess and i lost my second job and not just me millions of americans lost their jobs because every month about one and a half billion people were losing their jobs and it was a mess. It was a complete chaos in America. And I was divorced. After 14 years of marriage, the same wonderful person. The greatest blessing I had was her because she also took care of my mother in the hospital. And I'm very indebted to her for that. She was a wonderful companion. She's got Swami's Padnamaskar. But then, like Swami says, nobody belongs to you. You come as twigs in water and then you separate as twigs. Our karmic journey was over and we split. I recognized that. I did not uh, want to hold on, no possessiveness, let it go. When my life, he wanted me isolated. He isolated me so that he could have me start pondering about these imponderables, these very deep things about life. And that's when Swami arrived in his grand appearance in Delaware in a series of visions and dreams. That's when everything hit me hard. Mm-hmm. So, so th- th- this was a time when you were in so much of turmoil uh, mm-hmm. from various angles. Um, so, were you really looking for Bhagwan? Were you really seeking him, or it just happened? It just happened. I did not think about him. I had, in fact, forgotten about him. I didn't know who he was. And remember, as I mentioned earlier, I was not totally sold on his divinity. I know a lot of things happened. He materialized. He he uh, he um, he knew what was going on in my mind and all that. But I really did not still buy into that that he was divine. So you you, you were not like putting kneeling kneeling down and praying and asking where no. are you God please come on. No, I, I did need pray. You now. I did pray to God. I did pray. Okay. I prayed and I said, "Why is this happening?" Because it was shocking to me. You're praying things. to God, not to Swami. No, not to Him. Mm-hmm. I'd forgotten who He was. I'd forgotten where He was. I'd forgotten that He even existed. Mm-hmm. Let me uh, share one little bit. In 2005, I did come down with my wife to Puttaparthi mm-hmm. in August. I think I, the dates are August 14, 15, 16th, or 15, 16, 17th, Independence Day around that. India's Independence Day. When I saw Swami in a wheelchair. I lost all my little faith that I had. Mm-hmm. And that takes a lot. You know, when I saw him in a wheelchair, I said, if he is divine, why is he allowing himself to be in a wheelchair? Now, these questions were answered later, after 2009, because everything fell into place. And now, there's absolutely no question in my mind that Swami is divinity incarnate. There's no question at all. Nobody can shake that out of me. But it took this journey of so many decades for me to understand that and that was the beauty of the journey because now I've learned my lessons really hard and they're not going to be shaken out of me. And his appearances there, that really started the ball moving. And in a series of dreams, extraordinary, extraordinary experiences, uninvited, unsolicited. He was not mm. even sought after by me, mm. but he appeared. Now the question is, how did he know where I was? How did he insert himself into my consciousness or subconsciousness, should I say? How were those so lucid that they seemed so extremely real? And uh, why me? And why that time? So I had to experience those feelings. Amazing. I mean, so it's, it's, it's really significant that you were praying, you know, you were praying to a God mm-hmm. and, and, and that is when Bhagwan entered. Yes. So, 
even though at that point in time you 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 did not look for him but when you looked for an energy you looked for the solace you know i think that was the perfect moment for him to actually <laughs> come and barge into you and, and and perhaps the perfect moment for you to gain that understanding i think there is no better teacher in life than suffering i think when it comes to really spiritual growth you you grow more when you suffer i think that's why you had in the mahabharata mother kunti praying to krishna that you know please bless me with more sorrow nobody yes. asks that yes. but uh, uh, but sorrow uh, sorrows have a way of ensuring that we grow yes and and i think it was one such moment in your life which bhagwan uh, took to ensure that you take a leap a giant leap now in in your progress Sairam you just heard the first part of a conversation with Mr Raj Srivatsan from the United States an experienced corporate and securities attorney with a management consulting background Mr Raj moved to the US in the year 1999 As of November 2016 when this conversation was recorded Mr Raj continued to be engaged in class and derivative litigation as counsel for the boards of Fortune 500 companies and also working to defend directors and officers through US corporate law firms He has assisted justices and judges at the Supreme Court of Delaware and federal bankruptcy courts in public service also at the US Securities and Exchange Commission's Enforcement Division to prosecute Wall Street corporate and securities fraud more importantly Mr Raj is a visiting faculty to the Prashantinilam Brindavan Mudinahalli and Anantapur campuses of the Sri Satya Sai Institute of Higher Learning in conversation with him was radio size bishop prashti dear listener You may send in your feedback as always to listener at radiosai.org. Thank you and sai ram.